Women Taking the Lead, Episode 198. The time is always right to do what is right and to build the relationships that are necessary for us to all have an impact together and create systemic change. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Head over to womentakingthelead.com to join the community and get the resources to support you on your leadership journey. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Your website tells a story about your business. At Zebra Love Web Solutions, Millie and her team are going to make sure your website tells the story you want your customers to hear. Connect with Millie at ZebraLoveWebSolutions.com to create the impression you want to make. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Alyssa Wright, who is an artist, activist, and capacity-building expert. An accomplished facilitator and consultant, Alyssa works with organizations from East Africa to New England, all focused on powerfully creating social change, especially for women and children. A co-founder of the Massachusetts-based Recovery Theater and a passionate advocate for the arts, Alyssa believes that when we place dignity and love at the forefront of our change-making efforts, there is nothing that we cannot accomplish together on this earth. Alyssa, it is an honor to have you on Women Taking the Lead. That is just a quick intro for everyone. So if you could tell us a little bit more about you and your own humble beginnings. Sure. Jody. thank you so much for the gift of being able to be with your community today. I am so thrilled about it. I, humble beginnings, um, goodness. So I was born and raised in Massachusetts um, in a very suburban area, and I had a kind of difficult childhood growing up. I've never known my biological father, and my mother remarried around the age of 10, and I moved into a house that was pretty oppressive between um, there's some mental health issues and uh, various other economic struggles. And at the age of 18, I came home from working a 12-hour shift um, at a coffee shop up the street. And I had just graduated from high school to find all of my childhood belongings on the front lawn in cardboard boxes. And as you can imagine, um, a couple weeks after entering adulthood, it was kind of a shock to my system um, that my parents could not want me to live with them anymore um, or be unwilling to kind of have the conversations that I felt like I needed to have as I was growing and evolving as a young adult um, in my childhood home. And so I loaded everything onto a good friend's pickup truck and decided from that day forward that it was me, myself, and I to figure out the next chapter in my journey as a, as a young person. And I ended up driving to the most incredibly vibrant town, I think, in Massachusetts, Northampton. And I landed in Northampton. And after couch surfing and scrambling for a couple of weeks, I got two part-time jobs, enrolled myself back into state school um, part-time on scholarships, thank goodness for scholarships, and got my own apartment, got myself a kitten, and just started to set out on a next chapter to discover who I was going to become um, after that pretty traumatic experience of being rejected by my primary family. And so in the following days and weeks, I found myself reconnecting with, I think, a huge um, part of who I am that tends to define who I am as a leader, which is my artistry. Um, and I auditioned for a bunch of different theater companies in town, um, threw myself into a few different arts-oriented workshops, 
and got cast in a production um, and also was asked to be a teaching artist, oddly enough, a few weeks before my 19th birthday with a theater, theater company called Serious Play Theater Ensemble. And what we did was serious play. Um, we um, played and used different dance theater um, techniques. A few different um, physical um, actor training methods were, were what we primarily practiced. And we used that work um, to really create devised pieces that talked about some of the major social justice and economic issues we saw in rural Massachusetts and really throughout all of New England. And so it was this perfect marriage of the reality and the oppression under which I was living in, plus the artistry that I had reignited within myself to sort of survive, um, that I got thrown into a production in Eastern Europe. And so fast forward a few months later, um, I'm on the stage in Belgrade, Serbia, performing um, in an incredible ensemble. And the ensemble actually ended up winning an international award for artistic courage. And I remember standing on the stage that day in front of theater companies from all over the globe and just feeling this incredible significance um, in terms of how I could not only make a difference, but how I could actually feel my own worth no matter where I was and no matter who loved me or decided to keep me in their life. Um, and from that day forward, I propelled myself into a bachelor's degree for theater for social change. Yes, I made that up. <laughs> I was like, you're, I was like, you're putting that on the certificate. I don't care. That's the bachelor's degree I'm getting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I, and I just, and I owned being an artist from that day forward. And fast forward a few years later, um, I met an incredible mentor and friend in Northampton, Massachusetts named Kathy LeMay. And she asked me to start collaborating with her at her company called Raising Change. And a few years into that, I found myself doing fundraising and development um, with a very creative approach for women and girls causes all throughout the globe. And I'll never forget being 21 years old, sitting at a table in New York at a fundraiser next to Jennifer and Peter Buffett, having no idea what I was doing there. Um, really seeing myself as that kid who was picking those cardboard boxes off of her parents' front lawn and realizing what a significant impact I could have as an individual if I only understood that I was here for a unique purpose. Um, and so, so humble beginnings propelled me all the way through all of that. I mean, it just, um, was so, so incredible to have that be the narrative that brought me to the work that I do now in philanthropy and social change. So, um, so yes, that is, that's where I started. And it's really the driver for how I approach not only my own leadership, but try to inspire others to see that, see and find their unique purpose. Well, I can already tell this is going to be a very juicy conversation because wow, the things you overcame, but also, you know, following wherever your path led next, like whatever made sense for you or where your passions were leading you really led you to some amazing experiences as a young woman. I mean, yes, like, I don't want to step over the fact that a lot of what you went through prior was very traumatic. But once you, it almost like took those reins, you know, your life just really started taking off in the direction um, that you wanted to go or may not even realize that you wanted to go, but where you needed to be in a way that really captured your essence and what you brought to the table. And I love that. Um, and I can hear how, you know, you've definitely gained confidence. You're so sure of yourself and what you want to bring to the world. But if you could, Alyssa, 
share with us another story um, to really zero in on a time in your life when you were playing small. You know, it comes from the Marianne Williamson quote. She talks about how our playing small does not serve the world. We're meant to shine, you know, and and I know you get that. So if you could take us to a specific time in your life when you were playing small and share with us the story and the lessons you've learned. Sure. Um, I mean, it's such a good question. I think the thing that first comes to mind for me, and I know that so many women struggle, um, especially in my coaching of them at different social justice organizations, but just really across the board, so many women struggle with public speaking um, and being able to sort of stand up and present, whether it's in a corporate setting or whether it's in a rural setting or whether it's in a, um, you know, an organizational capacity. And so I, I think there was this moment where I was playing small where, and actually it's so glad that your first question is about my humble beginnings, where I, I really didn't feel there was anything in my story of how I came to being a fundraiser, um, and a, consultant. I didn't really think there was anything in that trajectory that was unique and different. So I rarely shared it with people. Um, I felt like everyone struggled with mentally ill parents and everyone struggled with um, economic dynamics surrounding their early life. And everyone had to couch surf and live on food stamps for weeks. And of course, they got themselves two jobs and went back into school full time. And, um, you know, I, I think I assumed for a long, long time that those types of dynamics were normal to everyone. And so because of that, it wasn't necessary to share my story. I had to have something philosophical or intellectual or academic to bring to the table. And that just the authenticity of who I was and where I came from and where I organically saw myself going, I always felt like that wasn't enough. And so I think the way in which I always play it small is I underestimate the significance of how I've come to be who I am, and not only as a professional, but also as a person. And I make that distinction today when we talk about playing it small, because it is not a small thing to be an incredible person to the primary people in your life. And so in addition to focusing on my professionalism and who I am within the work that I inspire at different organizations and companies and social enterprises, I also really hone in on the importance of who I am as a friend, a wife, and an aunt. And so I think that for me, my worst playing at small moment was re was really recognizing that, oh, geez, it's not important for me to get up and share. And so now I think the way in which I've adjusted that and realized and the great lesson that's come out of that is now I do get up and share when I'm in a room. And now I do get up and public speak. And now I do call universities for International Women's Day. And I say, I want to inspire other young women. And I need to tell my story because I want everyone who's 17 to 19 to know that what I went through at that age, which might parallel to what they're going through, doesn't dictate who they are when they're slowly approaching 30. Um, so, so yeah, thank you for asking that. And I really think that a huge takeaway and lesson is know that your story is valid and know that your story is important. And here's the actor in me. You ready? If you tell your story and one person is changed, it's enough. Mm. If you get up on stage and you perform for an entire audience and one person is moved, it's enough. And you're enough in that as well. 
I love that. I love what you shared. You got very philosophical there. There was a story missing, <laughs> but I'm gonna, <laughs> but I'm gonna let this one go. But this for this next question, I'm gonna hold your feet to the fire. I want to hear characters. I want you to like paint the picture. Where were you? What time in your life did this happen? I want to hear like a story of. A time in your life when you had a wake-up call. It's an aha moment or a slow awakening, um, you know, where there's this realization and you see what action you need to take. So tell us a story of what led up to that moment, what the realization was and the steps that you took that led to your success. Sure. So... You got me, Jody. You got me. <laughs> no. Um, so I, so I, so here's the thing about, so here's the, here's the greatest way for me to share this story leading, leading back to a little bit of um, what I shared earlier in July of 2015. So a, a little bit um, about two years ago, um, I got the opportunity to go and work in East Africa with a refugee organization that was supporting women and girls there called Hashima Kenya. And I'll never forget the day that I was boarding the plane at Logan airport. And I was kind of, I think one, I was overcome with, if I go on this journey to support these women and girls and to work with this organization and to find purpose and unlock something, is it going to be enough? And is it going to really make a difference? And I was standing in line at the airport um, waiting to board the plane. And I got a text message from a really good friend and mentor who has worked in East Africa for years and years. And she texted me and she said, I want you to know that in going on this journey, not only is it enough that you're just going to go and take the risk because so many people don't take the risk and go, but I want you to know that the only thing you need to focus on doing when you're there is bearing witness to what you see. And so I stepped off the plane about a day and a half later um, and a whole lot of plane meals, which meals on planes, like I'm sorry, Southwest, but like that's not, that's not ideal what you fed me on my, on my 18 hour flight. Um, and I stepped off the plane in Nairobi, Kenya. Um, and I just remember as I was arriving and maybe it was partly low blood sugar, but maybe it was partly also just general anxiety. I just remember feeling like I didn't deserve to be there. Like there was this overwhelming feeling like you don't deserve to be here, to bear witness to this. You're not going to make a difference. You're not going to have an impact. Why bother showing up? Um, there are people smarter than you with more degrees than you um, who really know what they're doing here. And it was all of that incredible self-doubt and feeling completely insignificant in arriving um, with which I got into the car and drove to the safe house to go start um, working with the organization and getting to know the refugee girls. And I remembered something in my toolkit of life as we were um, driving uh, through downtown Nairobi, which is incredibly difficult to navigate. I feel like we were going to get in an accident every two seconds. And when we finally got to the safe house uh, and arrived, my friend Elisa came out to greet me and we walked on over to meet the girls and almost all of the girls um, have children because unfortunately many of them are the victims of sexual assault um, when they're working to get to Kenya for, um, for safety. And so all of the girls were sitting there um, holding their, their beautiful children. 
And I had this moment and I pulled it out of my toolkit of life. And I said, you doubt that you belong here, but the most simple thing that you can do is remember that you're an artist and that is a gift to share with people, no matter what space you are in, no matter in what country. And through your artistry, Alyssa, you have always been able to build relationships. And that is an incredible gift when you're able to deeply and truly build an authentic relationship to someone that not only, you know, sustains and lasts for the, the duration of the time that the two of you are in it, but also that inspires others to be in relationship in the same deep and profound way. And so I said, okay, your artist self has to find a way in the next 20 to 30 minutes to not only build a relationship to these girls, but to overcome the doubt that you don't belong here and you can't help make a difference. So as fate would have it, I was presented the opportunity a few minutes later to participate in a sort of like dance activity with the girls. And um, actually, it was a really beautiful um, human rights um, empowerment activity that we did. And one of the questions that they asked the girls was, uh, what's a talent or a skill that you don't normally share with people, but you have? And so a couple of the girls responded. And then one of the girls stood up and she pointed at me and she said, get up, you get up, you go. And so I stood up and I started answering the questions. And I got to that question, like, what's a skill that you don't normally share with people? And I said, well, I said, I'm actually a jazz singer. And I trained for a few years to be a professional singer. And songwriter, but didn't really have the courage to do it when I was in college. Um, I said, and so I guess that kind of my secret, you know, hidden talent is that I, I'm a vocalist. And so all the girls started laughing and then they started clapping and they said, sing, sing, you have to sing. And so I was like, oh my gosh, my friend Elise was sitting in the corner, kind of like taunting and teasing and trying to get me to do it. And so I said, all right. So I said, what's a song that you know? Because here I am, this, you know, American woman from Massachusetts, who has no idea what I already, what I have in common with these refugee girls who have lived such, um, intense and, and profound lives. And I decided to sing Amazing Grace because a few of them knew the song. And so in the middle of the heat and sweat and dust of Nairobi, Kenya, I sang Amazing Grace for about 60 seconds. And I shivered the whole way through it. I think I shivered one because I was nervous, but I think I shivered secondly because I felt more alive and more myself in that moment than I maybe ever have. And after I was done, the girls all came up and hugged me and clapped. And I remember when I started to exhale after that entire thing was over, I realized that there were so many things about being an artist that I forgot unlock so much greatness inside of each of us. And it unlocked greatness inside of myself in that moment, just to overcome and to feel like no matter what we had in common, I could build a bridge because I fully understood my artistry. So I hope that story satisfies you in talking a little bit about overcoming self-doubt in Africa. Um, but, but that is just, it's, it's such, um, it's such a moment for me because it had such simplicity and yet it was so powerful where now I look back on it and I go, huh, there's really nothing I can't overcome because I'm an artist first and there's always a creative solution to build a relationship or to make a connection. <laughs> Alyssa, I'm laughing because 
a few moments into your story, I was like, she is forgiven for the last question. She has totally made up for it. The, <laughs> the text message, getting on the plane, I was like, all right, we're on track now. And then you made me cry twice in your story. And I've been just sitting here like being like, all right, she's going to she's gonna end her story in a moment. You need to pull yourself together. You're going to have to... <laughs> follow up. So thank you for making me laugh because that pulled me out of um, that moment. Of, I'm just just completely moved um, by that story because I think that's that's it. That's it. We're all just trying to own the gifts we already have and bring them to the table. That's That's what we're here for. That's what we're meant to do. And that's when things start clicking and coming together and we, we are able to move forward powerfully. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to like generalize this or brush strokes, but that's when we discover our purpose. That's when we start, you know, becoming accomplished. That's, that's when we start having the life we want to live and feeling fulfilled is just owning the gifts you already have and sharing them with others. So thank you for sharing that story. You're welcome. I love it. So now we're transitioning to questioning and giving you're an artist. I'm very curious about your leadership style. Like we, we chatted before we hit record, you know, our leadership style, you know, there's some things that are common, you know, among all leaders, we have to be able to communicate. Like you said, we have, you know, we got to share our stories. We have to be able to build relationships. All of those are fundamentals, but because of our different strengths and talents and our prior experience, we we all have nuances to our leadership. So, Alyssa, how would you describe your leadership style? So, I'm going to actually start with a story. Do you like that? I love it. it on you. I'm going to start with a story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, so, so, I had a really great mentor and friend in New York when I was first starting out in philanthropy. And I was going to all of these big-scale events and, um, you know, kind of being in rooms that I never thought I would be in, um, discussing in- incredibly intense, um, large scale fundraising strategies that were going to create vast systemic change in places in the world that I had sometimes never even heard of. And I remember I was at this one event and I sat down at the table and I was talking to this woman for a really long time. Um, and I said to her, I was like, you know, I said, it's so interesting. There are so many leaders in this room who've been doing this for the longest time. And I said, how do you, you know, how do you stay motivated and in social justice or social change work when sometimes it really doesn't feel like you're moving the needle? Um, and I'll never forget. She leaned in so, so closely to me and she said, we are moving the needle. And I said, I, I said, uh, yeah. And I said, <laughs> like, a, a very, a, you know, I said, we, there are clear metrics that see, and she said, we're moving the needle, she said, because so many young people are showing up. And she said, and when the young people show up and want to be in the work with us, she said, that for me is a clear indicator that this isn't just going to go away. Like we continue to build on this for generations and generations to come. So my leadership style has kind of taken that little nugget of wisdom and lived into it in a few different ways. But the one that I think is most uh, dominant for me is that I don't see it necessarily as just mentorship. I really see it as mentorship that becomes kinship, that becomes a lifelong legacy of doing the right thing. Um, and so 
it's more so than just inspiring a person who's in their early 20s to work with me who I'm in my late 20s to kind of help them to figure out their own voice and to understand their own leadership style. For me, it's really making an investment in that person as a whole and holistically approaching them to say, this isn't just about how I nurture you professionally. Um, it's really about how together we understand each other being on a purpose-driven path to create change. So I, I just love that kind of framing that was presented to me was, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter how many of us um, for how long are invested in different aspects of the work. It's when we come together as that collective and really nurture and bring up those who maybe are younger and exploring whether or not this is the path that they want to go on, as we're seeing now with many millennials, especially um, I know so many millennial women who are really invested in in being a part of this work and having a purpose-driven profession. Um, so I would say that my leadership style is one, to really invest and to look deeply um, at those who are younger than me, who approach this work sometimes with more humanness than I could even bring to the table in all my years of doing this in my last decade in the field. Um, and so I feel like nurturing that and fulfilling that is actually part of what makes me a great leader because I understand what's to come next. And I try to breathe that into whoever I support in becoming a better leader to really understand the generational change um, that can happen and how we can be in that together. And then I would say another aspect of my leadership style, which is maybe a small silent piece, but really important is that being in the theater and having the background that I have in performance has taught me to really appreciate and hone and be a witness to the present moment. And so I really try to exist in the moment to bring a great deal of presence and sophistication to the work that I do and the way that I help other leaders lead. And I find at the end of the day that one of the most incredible things to really watch with someone that you've been either a leader alongside or you've been a leadership coach to, as I have in certain capacities, is to really see them appreciating the day-to-day -day of the work and not feeling overwhelmed by tasks or goals or outcomes. Yes, that's part of what we do, but every eight or 10 hours or some of us 12 or 14 a day um, that we put into this work really appreciating and understanding every one of those cycles as a great gift and opportunity uh, to make a difference and to also have an impact. And so breathing into that space is sometimes where I feel um, real beauty in leader in leading and in leadership can come from. Tell us about the work that you're doing now, specifically one thing you're working on right now that you're really excited about. I'm so glad you asked that. I would have to say, you know, it's interesting uh, having had this opportunity for this podcast at this time and something I'm really excited for in my own leadership coaching. So there's an organization I've had the great gift of partnering with since last summer called Tree Sisters. Um, and the leadership there is really invested in how do we discover and unearth our own feminine leadership. Um, and I've just really enjoyed going on that journey with them to explore what that looks like. And one of the projects that we're working on is this, in, this global, a global philanthropic strategy that really unearths feminine leadership within different philanthropic communities. So how do we get women who are in sometimes very traditional philanthropic structures to live and lead with the best of their feminine self? 
And so I'm really excited to help some women do that and navigate also their relationship around money to really break open whatever is supposed to come next um, for not only those individuals, but for the body of work that Tree Sisters is doing, which is reforest um, reforestation efforts in the tropics via the um, support of a feminine leadership platform. So that's one thing that I'm really excited about. And I invite you all to look up the work of Tree Sisters and to potentially become a Tree Sister because it's just a really beautiful um body of work that I'm invested in right now in terms of looking to how do we take our relationship to the earth and bring it into our own leadership style. And again, it all goes back to investing in the present moment to really drive change no matter where we are. And Alyssa, I want to include the link to Tree Sisters in the show notes so I can make sure that's available to anyone who wants to check it out. Sure. It's it's actually very easy. It's treesisters.org. Dot org. Done. Done nice and, and done. Awesome. <laughs> now, on the flip side of things, Alyssa, tell us about um, your current biggest leadership or business challenge. Sure. So I actually recently transitioned. I worked at Raising Change for almost seven years and for the last two years had the great gift and opportunity to be a partner at the firm. And then last December, I graduated from Cornell University with a certificate in change leadership and succession planning, uh, because one of the things that I'm seeing trend a lot in the social change world is this very um, important transition that's happening between, um, between founders and new executive directors as we see sort of the, some of the founder generation aging out and really looking to do different work um, as the next leadership role comes into place to move the mission forward. So in December, um, uh, mid-December, I launched my own consulting group called Alyssa Wright Consulting. Um, And what we're really focused on is not only creative capacity building strategy work and major gifts fundraising, which was a lot of what I did at Raising Change, but taking some of that knowledge and wisdom from the time that I had at Raising Change and translating it and looking at it through the lens of professional development. And so what is it that leaders at different organizations actually need um, to really build a vibrant funding base, um, a very sustainable philanthropic model, and drive all of those different pieces forward to achieve mission fulfillment. And so I would say launching this new firm after the seven years at Raising Change, um, one of the biggest challenges that I feel like I'm faced with is just really understanding my own identity as a leader in both the the sector and the industry um, that I've worked in for a long time, but also a lot of other sectors, I think, that can use the work that Raising Change did and look at things through a values uh, with a values based mentality. Um, so I'm exciting, head, excited to head into this new year and be partnering with more arts oriented organizations that have very traditional philanthropic models and are looking to sort of push the envelope and get a little more progressive with their programming and outreach. I'm also really excited to work with more companies that are looking to become social enterprises and take a values driven approach to how they are um, meeting their bottom line, as well as taking care of the socioeconomic conditions in their own backyard. Um, And so I think taking that new focus, one of the challenges for me is just really honing in on that. Um, and getting my my messaging um, appropriate to what I feel the spaces that I'm occupying going forward. So, you know, as that being a, a challenge, um, my artist self goes right back to 
how do I really allow myself to be in process to discover that and discover what comes next? So I would say that for me, I'm really excited to continue to tap into those roots, to let myself be on a journey over the next coming months, even the next couple of years, and to understand how this new consulting group, in addition to my own artistry, really carve out and define something that can not only inspire others to believe that they can live the life that they imagine, but also in addition to finding their purpose, also find the best way that they can be of service to humanity. Because I look now at the global refugee crisis. I look here in New England at the opioid epidemic um, that is ravaging a lot of our, our communities here. Um, and I look at those challenges and I say to myself, how do I be of service to those in addition to finding my purpose and my passion? Because I feel like we're at a time right now in the world where we need to just have open hands and open hearts. And so it's sometimes hard to infuse that into a consultancy because we do need to keep the wheels turning. Um, but I'm really hoping to find a balance of both being of service to those who can benefit from the knowledge and wisdom that I've obtained over the years and my other um, team members have obtained and brought to the table. But also, how can we you know, build community um, around this new business and, and support it. So sort of a balancing act, but that is a challenge I feel faced with and getting that message right so that I can really work with the individuals right now in partnership who believe that we can all together collaboratively have really significant impact in the coming years. Oh, that's amazing, Alyssa. I can't wait to watch how this all unfolds. Share with us a success quote or a mantra and why it has meaning for you. Sure. So I'm so, so glad you asked me that today. Um, today being Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Um, and I, and I was recalling earlier today about what an incredible fundraiser Martin Luther King Jr. was. Um, I don't think a lot of people know him as that, but he actually was a very powerful fundraiser and advocated so passionately, um, for the work that he was doing and, um, raised a whole lot of money. Um, and built a movement. And I'm impressed by him every day, but especially today having him on my brain. I will never forget hearing for the first time the quote, the time is always right to do what is right. And I think that as a business person who's also an activist, who's also an artist, it's really important for me to know that the combination of those identities can be really beneficial to where the world is headed and how I can be of service to it. But also, it's okay for me sometimes to get derailed and to focus on projects or scopes of work or relationships that are really in deep need um, to maybe not necessarily what my vision is for the company or a specific piece that I'm working on, but just really being of need and being timely and organic um, and relevant to what the landscape um, in our nation and in the entire world really needs. So the time is always right to do what is right and to build the relationships that are necessary for us to all have an impact together and create systemic change. And lastly, Alyssa, what is the best way for this community to connect with you? Sure. So I am really proud to be a blogger on Mogul. Dot com so on o n m o g u l dot com on mogul dot com um, I also write frequently on medium my stories from working in social change throughout the globe and then you can also contact me through my website which is alyssa f right dot com a l y s s a f 
W-R-I-G-H-T.com. Awesome. And for those of you listening, you know you can find all the links and resources shared in this episode at womentakingthelead.com. And Alyssa, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Oh, thank you so much, Jody. Such a gift to be with your community today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. Are you ready to take the lead in your own life but need some support? Head over to womentakingthelead.com forward slash contact to introduce yourself. And to strengthen you on your leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining with me and here's to your success.